0: Welcome to the Persona Tech Podcast, where we are interviewing experts in the tech industry and asking them the top questions on Persona. This episode, we have Darian. Darian, can you please introduce yourself and what you're working on?
1: Yes, my name's Darian Parrish. I can be found on Twitter if you search me, Darian underscore Parrish, P A R R I S H. Um, find me on LinkedIn. I'm most active on Twitter and uh, Persona these days. So, um, come, come find me on Persona as well. I'm based here in Seattle, uh, just started a new company, Rad Seattle, so you can check us out there as well.
0: Yeah, and I'd love to know actually a little bit more about Rad Seattle. What is what is kind of the, the elevator pitch, so to speak, of it?
1: Yeah, so our thesis is um, supporting underappreciated technology companies, and an underappreciated technology is um, something that had very high expectations that haven't been met. Uh, so with we think that there's something uh, in in the control of the founders or the team um, that can help it escape velocity. So we help startups, and that's uh, that that's the short end of it.
0: Great, great. And um, as persona podcast tradition is uh, bacon, eggs, or waffles. Which one do you pick?
1: Uh, I would say uh, bacon,
0: and uh, and and why bacon over the other two?
1: I think I like, I like to get my protein, although I'm trying to, uh, for, for environmental reasons, as well as health, trying to cut down on meat consumption. So I'd also take, um, plant-based alternative bacon. That is
0: really underrated. I mean, I'm one of those guys where if it's generally tastes the same, I'm all in and, uh, bacon on that front is, is delicious. So, uh, I, I am all in on that. Great. Uh, so let's hop into some of the top questions, uh, on persona for in the tech category. Um, I was asking a little bit pre-show if we should talk about Wall Street bets. One of the top questions, do you think regulators will step in regarding Wall Street bets, which is sort of answered in a certain regard a little bit here in GameStop? And do you think it's warranted? But let's just talk Wall Street bets and, and GameStop.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I'm not part of the, the Wall Street's bet group. I, I followed it a little bit. I think you know any, any retail investors should be able to organize and share ideas. And so I think that's great. Um, could be done on any forum and the internet has just made that easier. So um, in general, I, I prefer to you know, always side on the uh, you know, access and, and retail investor side. Um, but I think you know, uh, I wouldn't agree with some of the valuations that end up um, happening as an outcome of, of everyone organizing. So, um, but that's the same way with any crowded trade. It gets very hot and then um, eventually it comes down.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a unique thing that I feel like this is sort of just the future, and this is one of the you know the early clashes of of these two worlds colliding. Because, I mean, it it feels totally in in play for sort of like a, a lay investor, someone like myself. Um, and so it's kind of unusual that there's obviously like Robinhood stopping, and then there's a bunch of drama obviously behind the scenes of whether or not Robinhood has an issue with like covering the calls and all like some of the stuff that I don't fully understand, and that there's more to to kind of the meets the eye, but uh, it's certainly a strange, strange scenario. But do you think this is kind of the future of these sort of communities organizing and kind of new ways to deploy capital whether in traditional markets or, or new markets?
1: Yeah, well, in, in full disclosure, I used to run a uh, public equity fund and, and we did, it was a multi-strategy fund and we did have a short strategy. So um, I, I have a little bit more knowledge of this and, and also trade on the retail side now. So um, I think you know, we were always trying to source ideas wherever the best ideas were. And, uh, you know, Chamath went on CNBC to, uh, you know, talk about how, just how intelligent some of these um, analysts are. And I, I totally agree that, um, you know, you really got to source the best ideas where they, they are. And when you have people on the internet and this, I feel the same way about talent, you know, and that's what uh, part of the uh, remote work has enabled is finding talent wherever it exists in the globe is what makes sense. If it's someone, you know, without a degree, you know, high school in the basement, you know, doing great work, doing great coding, you hire that person. Um, same thing for ideas uh, when you're trading, wherever those best ideas live, and um, that's where you find them. So um, I, I would say that the future probably is uh, somewhere on the web, somewhere on a, on a social thread. And, uh, you know, we, we still do, in my opinion, need the short side of the trade, because I think that's what helped uh, Med MedFaber uh, just had a good tweet on this, uh, where, you know, it's helped helps root out fraud. So Enron and some of the biggest, you know, scenarios, a short, short research is um, intended to uh, identify structural issues. And so I think you'll probably see some Wall Street bet uh, short groups eventually, because um, you you don't want just the um, institutions being able to um, uh, root out this fraud. It'd actually be better if these intelligent, you know, folks um, congregating on the internet are, are serving that purpose as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating perspective on that. I uh, appreciate you kind of taking me down that rabbit hole. It's definitely uh, a new area and an area probably I won't go too deep on. So um, yeah, I love that thinking. One of the questions that you and I went back and forth on uh, on Persona was this idea of, of Webflow raising a bunch of money for their Series B and kind of talking about no code. Um, I'd like to just kind of rehab that conversation a little bit on the live podcast of kind of saying like, how do you see the future of no code in the industry?
1: Yeah, so um, this is actually one of the theses over at RAD Seattle that we think no code is, is a decades long uh, growth trend. And the reason being is, is the shortage of uh, computer scientists. And uh, if you look at just how many folks are graduating uh, from university with CS degrees versus the number of open jobs um, in software development, uh, there continues to be a shortage. And so uh, part of the solution is no code. It's, it's not the entirety of the solution. Um, you know, no code still requires software developers behind the no code platform. Uh, and then um, to be honest, a lot of these are too challenging. A lot of these platforms are too challenging to build an app for just a layperson who who doesn't have some database knowledge or data structures understanding. So I think that's the challenges that have to be overcome. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, because they're, large challenges, you don't work on the problem. So I think no code has a really bright future and we actually need more, more people helping solve for, for the challenges there.
0: Yeah. The part that I really buy of, of kind of your argument is, um, or your position, I should say, is it certainly lifts the floor of, of the whole ecosystem. And I think of the opportunities that, you know, Substack has enabled Etsy have, has enabled, um, Shopify, right? And the, these are these platforms that are effectively no-code platforms, obviously built into an actual business. It's obviously not in the no-code category, but you could kind of think about them as the job to be done is effectively Absolutely. a no-code solution. Yeah. And so I, I, there's been so many people that have been able to create um amazing wealth for them and an opportunity in locations that they, that have hard access to capital or whatever it may be. And so I'm very, very supportive of that, of like lift, lifting the floor of the industry. And I agree with you. I've played with some of the no-code app development and it's uh, very, very difficult, even for someone who has a pretty robust understanding of how apps actually are built and, and worked on. But the part that I always struggle with is sort of this human element of us constantly comparing and contrasting custom built and all these things. And so it's sort of the, the, the ceiling, I feel like continues to lift in the no-code space. So the thing that I think you've changed my mind on is lifting the floor has a really broad, you know, call it a 10X kind of multiple, and you're always going to have the ceiling, but the delta between the ceiling and the floor has shrunk. And so I, I appreciate that perspective shift in, in my thinking.
1: Yeah, and I think one of, the, one of the things about unrealized demand, and, and this is something um, with the underappreciated technology thesis we have, is that uh, there's a, a lot of these categories, there's a very large portion of unrealized demand. And what that means, um, taking the Shopify example you gave, um, you, you're absolutely right, That that is a uh, type of no code. And, and um, in the new wave, you wouldn't think of it as no code. But you got to think about what would you do if you did not have Shopify? you would build code you would write code to build a web you know e-commerce site. And so it, it solves for a solution uh, anything that solves for a problem where you would traditionally need to write code. And the same thing is with automation, even if it's simple workflows um, previously, you'd have to write code to accomplish that. So um, I think there's a lot of unrealized demand when you start thinking about broader problems as being something that could be solved by no code. And that could be uh, on the consumer side, you know, anything you do in, in your daily daily routine that's repeatable, um, that, that's digital, that, that's, that's uh, no code solution will be something, you know, that's solving for that, um, freeing up a bit of your time and giving that back huge, huge unrealized demand for things that uh, give people their time back.
0: Yeah, it is always amazing to kind of find those little, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, I, you know, Mercury, uh, as an example, is a bank account for startups, right? And mm-hmm. like, and this is not quite your example, but this idea, of, I've I've opened my own bank accounts and businesses uh, since I've been 14 and I've done it, you know, now for 20 years. And it's always a brutal, brutal, uh, you go down to the bank and you like explain to them your stupid idea, web idea. And, like, they're like, oh, okay, cool. And you're like, do this. And, and Mercury was like, 15 minutes done, you know, online. And I was just like, wow, like I had, it never occurred to me to just build a startup that I took out that kind of that menial part of it. And so when I think about what you're talking about, there, applying that to my life digitally with all the little things. It's always like in hindsight, it's always like, oh my God, that was so obvious. I was wasting all this time. And, but in this exact moment, I'm trying, I'm struggling to picture what I repetitively do on, on the web, but I'm sure it's in the dozens, if not hundreds (laughs) that it's so regular. So that's a good call.
1: Yeah, I love what Mercury is doing. They they they're they're, they're, uh, uh, it, they're definitely removing a lot of friction, and and uh, I I need to follow their story even in more deeply. I haven't I haven't signed up for an account yet, but I think it's uh, I did ask around to to get some people's uh, feedback, and so far it's all positive.
0: Yeah, their CEO has done. Um, you know, we joined them. Uh, we were putting together a small pre seed round right as COVID hit, and uh, we so raised a little bit of cash. Uh, Used Mercury to sign up, and I mean, he was absolutely—he was hosting like Zooms every day with people who were thinking about PPP and how that was going to work with the ecosystem. And he did such an awesome job of thinking about, okay, well, how are business owners, you know, specifically in the startup space, thinking about cash flow and well, how does that all work, and how's that can all coalesce with this kind of COVID thing, and how can we be helpful with Mercury? They're one of the first banks to start processing those checks and helping us kind of go through that. And so it was amazing. And then they just rolled out this sort of like, hey, we know a bunch of investors and we have all this sort of Stripe world, right? We know all these young startups that are growing, like, why don't we connect you guys? And so they opened up this new kind of, I don't know what to call it, sort of like some sort of seed program, but it's just, I really, really enjoy um, their platform. And this is not a paid plug. Like uh, I'm a true fan of, of Mercury and uh, there's so many small applications of what they're doing. So you have another advocate uh, over here of, of highly okay. recommending their service, but let's move to the third and final top question on persona in the in the tech category which is what will happen to San Francisco's commercial real estate market over the next five to 10 years. And if you want to talk about Seattle's, I know you're in Seattle, but really this idea of what is going to happen to commercial real estate in your opinion with this kind of changed remote and how do you see that playing out?
1: Yeah. So we we can sort of take the long view. I mean, real real estate is is historically cyclical. And so uh, I think trying to identify what happens in the short term is 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 always more challenging than than getting a long term view on it, and I think duration is is generally your friend, if especially if you're investing in, in real estate. So I, I think uh, I, I would uh, I would imagine that we uh, continue to see this uh, dispersion of of some of the some of the cities. Uh, I think that there's a reason why there's been a centralization and there's a lot of great books on studying why civilization wants to congregate in these, you know, sort of megacities even um, sometimes. And so I, I don't think it means that all goes away because of the pandemic and because of this remote work trend. Again, me being very positive on the remote work trend and being able to access talent, you know, anywhere in the world. Um, but I think, you know, the, again, when it makes sense, you know, you're you're, you're still going to see cities supported um, you just have to see them get smarter. So there's gotta be affordable housing. Um, so some of the San Francisco issues are the same as Seattle. Um, if you can't build affordable housing near downtown uh, for permitting reasons and, and some other um, stuff that one might consider BS is uh, you know that's that's not gonna help your city grow and it's not gonna be a positive uh, socioeconomic uh, type of situation. Um, so I think in that situation, if you don't see change, um, if you don't see change in policy, you'll see change in behavior, which means you know exiting to the suburbs or, or even to the uh, countryside, which uh, can be a great quality of life.
0: Yeah, that's uh, something that impacted me um personally on this is that I was visiting my parents down in Florida uh, as COVID hit, had been in Seattle for six years. I uh, ended up staying down there for about 10 months and got a little bit of a golf swing uh, along the way. Uh, but, you know, Florida was such a 180 from Seattle. And obviously we've heard a lot about Miami and I was in central Florida, which I don't recommend, but you know, the my, the, the temperature was nice and the golf is is year round. Um, and my, my family and I, we moved up to Portland, Maine and Portland, Maine is a strange city that, uh, and I don't know how long I'll be here, but call it you know six to 12 months. But what's been on my mind is this idea of, court of sort of like these, I call them almost micro cities. And in Portland, Maine is probably not quite micro city, but Madison, Wisconsin, Portland, Maine, these kind of 100,000 to 200,000 um, cities that you can actually get a, a sizable home. You It has a really interesting culture and food. And like, I'm really curious on how this will play out if we'll see a rise in those types of cities for the folks who want that city feeling and vibe. And like the neighborhood I'm in feels a lot like Green Lake, but a lot cheaper than Green Lake. And so it's like, you know, it has these strange things. And I just wonder if cities like that will rise or is it sort of just a temporary kind of post COVID hangover for lack of a better word? And will we see a retreat back to these cities? And I don't know, it's been an interesting personal journey that um, I'm not sure what, how this will end, but I'm very curious to see how I feel about all this in a year or two.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's being in central Florida and then going to Portland, Maine, obviously big temperature difference. I've done a similar thing. I grew up in Hawaii and then being in, in Seattle, it's, it's much colder, but Port- Portland's even colder. I have a sister over there. Uh, so went there for the first time this, uh, two summers, not, not during COVID but the summer before. And it was, it was quite beautiful in the summer there similar to Seattle.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the summers here are incredible. I've visited quite a few times and, uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how I feel, uh, in six to 12 months, but, um, it's been fun thus, thus far. Well, I appreciate you joining the show. Remind people where to find you on social and, um, yeah.
1: Yes. Thanks. Uh, the best, best place is Twitter. Just find me, uh, Darian underscore parish. You, you search my name, probably the only one comes up there and, uh, I like to engage with folks there. And, um, also on LinkedIn. Um, you can also check out more about, uh, underappreciated technologies at radseattle.com. And uh, as a, a pleasure, uh, Chad. But actually, probably one of the most active places I've been recently is is on Persona. So, um, want to see some more questions there? I'll post some more questions there. Uh, it's been, been real fun on there.
0: Yeah, I appreciate appreciate that. We are we're working hard to to grow the tech piece, and I think the tech one is an interesting one. The NBA community is absolutely thriving and growing rapidly on the Persona platform, and I think part of it is that it's um there's it's all subjective. There is no objectivity. And I think in the tech world, there's a little bit more um, objectivity of sort of, you know, being right, or at least being able to place some of these bets. And, and so it's been an interesting kind of journey for us to kind of explore to building a a product to do that. But you've been a delight to kind of listen to on the product. And uh, I hope to continue to chat with you on Persona and we'll build up the community slowly, but surely.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Chad.
0: Yep. Thanks everyone for listening.